This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Finding Marco, a novel, and the author is Kenneth C. Cancellara, and Ken joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Ken. Good morning, Steve. This story, uh, I have to say, beautifully written novel, uh, deals with important topics, as you say, of morality and ethics, but it's done in a very different way. You're going to kind of take us on a travel log to uh, southern Italy. Uh, that's your hometown area. Uh, you'll tell us more about that. And uh, But it also is a mirror of your own life, but you're dealing with some important topics, uh, not in a lecture format, but in a, as you put it, a series of images and episodes that illustrate the points that the author wishes to get across to the reader, kind of a spiritual odyssey. This is very, very unique, and we'll get into all the reasons why, but let's first learn about you, Ken. Tell us a little bit about your background and what was the motivation to take this uh, kind of uh, project on, and you're a very busy man, and and uh, do it in the way you did it. Uh, Steve, I, I've been a litigator, uh, a lawyer, for 40 years, um, and uh, and I've uh, I've often uh, wondered about issues like ethics and morality in my career. Uh, some 20 years ago, approximately, I, I was I had the good fortune of being invited to found a uh, pharmaceutical company, BioVale Corporation, uh, now called Valiant Pharmaceuticals. And uh, in the course of my uh, adventure in that company, uh, which became the largest pharmaceutical company in Canada, uh, I encountered uh, a number of experiences, both personal and uh, uh, in my observations, that I felt created um, an important topic for me to, to explore, and that topic is the twin pillars of ethics and morality. Um, and so I've been both a, 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 an attorney for many years and also a senior executive. Uh, and the combination of those two career paths gave me a perspective that I wanted to explore in a way that didn't, didn't lecture but allowed the reader to experience some of the feelings that I uh, have experienced for many, many years. And I wanted to do it in a style that was poetic, uh, I wanted to uh, take the story from North America to Italy, where I was born, um, and there uh, uh, in, a, in an idyllic uh, uh, hilltop town, which coincides with the town where I was born, uh, through a series of experiences that I re recollected as a child, try to bring those experiences into real life and have a mythical grandfather teach young Marco all the virtues of life. So that's basically uh, my background and how it, it got into the writing of this novel. Would you say this is autobiographical? Well, it's, it's autobiographical in a certain sense, uh, Steve. It, 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 
it certainly recounts personal experiences. All the experiences we read about in the book are experiences that I've either had personally or have seen in the course of my uh, careers, both as a lawyer and as an executive. So it's autobiographical in that standpoint. Uh, it's autobiographical in respect of the places. I, I describe places in southern Italy. I describe places in Tux Tuscany. Uh, so those are real. Those experiences that I recounted are real experiences. But when we talk about restaurants and names of individuals in the restaurant and names of individuals uh, in the small town where the story builds, those are all mythical. But again, they're based on real experiences. You have three major topics in your book, you say, in which you are weaving through this kind of poetic uh, odyssey, spiritual odyssey. One is the seeking of the fountain of youth by aging baby boomers. Yes. Um, and it's, uh, as we, we, we go through stages in life, and those stages are very marked and very, and very distinct. Uh, there's the student stage where we're rebellious. We, we, we sponge information and knowledge. We build it. Then there's the, the career path. We, we, uh, we, we engage in a career path that's defined by, by, by ambition and by the need to fulfill ourselves with societal steps and with, 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 with financial gain. We have very little else in life to think about than our family and, and fulfilling those ambitions. And then there's the baby boomer stage, the stage that I'm currently in. And that's the stage where you become somewhat more reflective about things around you. You're more mature about things. You're more tolerant. But you also observe. And, and almost a panic reaches our soul. The panic being, oh, my God, is there all there is in life? Is there more to be gained? Am I going to be useful in the next 20 years of my life as I've been in the last 20 years of my life? And, and so those things can be frightening. Uh, what's also frightening is also the fact that one realizes at that stage that there hasn't really been a balance in our lives in the past. We've been one-dimensional. You, 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 you get married or not. You have a family or not. You buy a house. You have a mortgage. You buy a car. You build your career and you build your financial stability. It's, a un it's almost a one-dimensional uh, experience that we have with very little balance for introspection, for, for worrying about doing something not because you gain a financial reward for it, but because it's the right thing to do. And, and I, I explore that uh, in the book with a very simple example right at the beginning in the, epilogue, in the prologue, I should say, where Marco's grandfather... Uh, welcomes Marco uh, after a, a race against a train that, uh, he, uh, that, that he had been accustomed to, uh, to, uh, uh, to doing on a daily basis as he ran from the top of the town right down to, to the farm where uh, his grandfather was, uh, was a farmer. And all the grandfather does is he welcomes little Marco in his arms, pats him on the back, and congratulates, congratulates him for a, a race well run. There's no reward there's nothing external about that. There's no compensation for it. There's no money being exchanged. It's simply an act of warmth and of altruism and of making one feel good because he did something that 
that requires an internal reward. So I explored that as well, which then lead, led me to the exploration of the, these twin pillars of ethics and morality. How in society now, we, everything we do is because we expect something in return, usually money or money's worth. And we never worry about and we never think about doing something not because you're getting something out of it, but because it's the right thing to do. And so that, that I guess, struggle, that mental, spiritual struggle within a person, uh, which often in this area that you've talking about, about ethics in business, often greed can take over and just literally change a person so much could even destroy the person. Uh, and you're trying to help us see that the need for balance, and even getting back to your roots. Well, and, and that's that's something else that I've 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 explored because at the end of the day, really, Steve, uh, the importance of finding one's roots and the affinity one has with those formative roots uh, is is one of the greatest uh, explorations one can have. Um, because it's, it's, it basically tells us who we are, and it, it, it tells us where we've come from. And, 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 and those are very important topics for one to explore uh, in order to, 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 to fill that void that, that, that normally we have in our, in our inner being. And, and so I explore that as well. We have a, an individual, a little boy, who immigrates from Italy to Canada, spends the next 50 years uh, climbing the, uh, the societal ladder, uh, really not having any, uh, any uh, opportunity to think back of where he came from until, again, he reaches that maturity that there's now a longing he needs to find out. And so he goes back to those roots. He goes back to where he was born and recollects some of the memories that have shaped his being. And um, those are important, Steve, because what they do is they make you a complete person so that not only do you know where you are, where you're going to be, but they also tell you where you've come from. Well, what would you, how would you comment on this statement that companies and executives must prefer the best interests of the company over their own personal interests? You, you see it every day. We've seen it in Wall Street. We've seen it in the last... Uh, uh, in the last fiascos, you know, the, 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 the J.P. Morgan issues and all these other issues that, that have caused the, the 99%, if you will, to rebel against that 1% so-called, precisely because those individuals have preferred individual gain as against the gain of the overall gain of the companies which employ them for the benefit of a number of people rather than one individual. And in this book, uh, in Finding Marco, I've, uh, I've created this fictional character called Burton Cavendish, who is an aging person and who decides that he's going to uh, engage in some rather inappropriate conduct with a view to filling his pockets at the expense of shareholders and the company that he, uh, that he served. And, and again, that whole issue of morality and ethics and greed um, are explored. And uh, uh, as well, uh, what happens to individuals who don't respect 
those those twin pillars. Uh, now the <laughs> the second portion, of course, is the sequel that I've I've just completed and and uh, and hopefully will be uh, will be published very shortly. But 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 those are the, the 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 issues of ethics and morality that really, in a lot of ways, are not inscribed in rules and regulations. In a lot of ways, they are. That's why we have lawyers and prosecutors and so on. But in a lot of ways, there are a personal code of ethics. There's no one that tells you whether something is right or wrong. It, it's, it's an innate feeling that tells you to stay on the right side of the law. And there's something innate, too, about going back to your place of birth that, that's really introspective, uh, often very thought-provoking, and I guess can stir the soul. Well, Steve, I, I, again, I used examples, very simple everyday examples. I, I've taken the reader in a bar, in a cafe, where they're having a drink, having a coffee, having an espresso, and listening to people debate issues all around them. I've taken the reader in a barber shop, where some memories of, of, of his youth, Marco uh, hears things around him, people talk about uh, things of ethics, things of morality. And so I try to uh, get the reader involved in, in, in discussing these important issues, but not from a lecturing standpoint, but from an observation standpoint, almost as an observer to, uh, to uh, uh, to, uh, to a movie reel that's going, that's going on that, that tries to discuss these topics without imposing the author's views on the reader. And Marco must make a big decision. Uh, you know, should he abandon all of this for a second time and satisfy this innate hunger for the struggles and rewards of corporate life? That's the big question. Well, that's the, that's the big question, and, and in the book, Marco struggles with that uh, tremendously to the point that, you know, having uh, said that he needed to find a balance in his life, what does he do in Italy, in a small town? He creates a winery. He creates yet another business, um, and, and the business becomes successful, uh, and he becomes more and more ingrained in, in the life he had left behind half a century earlier, and, and it, 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 it's a spiritual cleansing for him. So the question he needs to uh, ask himself, and he does so with his wife as he's drinking, having a drink uh, in uh, Tuscany uh, overlooking uh, a valley, he, he asks himself, well, is, is, do we go back to what we left behind in North America, to the struggle, or have we found uh, our haven? Have we found the place where uh, we wish to carry out the balance of our lives? And the, the book ends with attempting to answer that question. Um, whether, whether he fully answers it, um, whether he actually carries through with, with his initial answer, uh, is something that the reader will have to judge for himself because I leave it open. I leave it open in a way that one can formulate either answer. Um, and that's, uh, in the end, I, I answer that question in, in the sequel that, that, that's about to come out. <laughs> well, very good. And, of course, with all of this uh, kind of theme that runs through this book, 
you can't help but remember that old song by Peggy Lee, Is That All There Is? Rich. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right, Steve. Well, Ken, really uh, interesting, unique, and uh, very stylish, uh, poetic even. Uh, everyone will enjoy this uh, kind of journey, this self-introspective journey in a very unique way in this novel. Kenneth C. Cancellara is the author, and his book, Finding Marco, a novel. Ken, tell us how to get your book. Well, it's available in, uh, in, uh, in a number of bookstores. It's available, obviously, online as well with Amazon and all the other, the usual um, uh, avenues, providers. Uh, the, uh, we can also, uh, uh, it's also available through the Author House um, uh, online site, and it's also available through uh, www.findingmarco.com and, and they'll prompt you to order the book in either hard print or email or ebook uh, through the different providers. Thank you, Ken, for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you for inviting me, Steve. Good day. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hey, moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many hats, Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats. And sometimes it's easy for moms to forget their value when life calls for switching from role to role. But the ability to juggle so many hats is priceless. She is never just a mom. She's a decision maker, coordinator, creative genius, counselor, a friend, an authority, and a leader in her household. On Mom of Many Hats Radio, we'll be talking about the hats that you as a mom juggle. We'll acknowledge your importance and support in helping you and all moms to not just defend your value, but to believe in your value. For more on the show and Angie, check out her website, azmamaminihats.com. She is a strong woman. She is powerful. She is wonderful. And she is valuable. Mom of Many Hats with Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Girlfriend It is on Togginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriend at Principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Shoots, Beer, and Bullets, Not Your Grandpa's War Story. And the author is Jesse C. Holder. And Jesse joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Jesse. 
Hey, it's good to be with you today. Well, it's great to have you with us. It's a real honor to have you with us because uh, we have to officially welcome Jesse as Corporal Jesse C. Holder, Army Airborne. Uh, he's about to get out of the Army after six years, but you're still on active duty, and thank you for your service, Jesse. Oh, it's not a problem. I'm happy to do it. Well, then we'll find out more about Afghanistan. Jesse served uh, quite a few months over there. We'll get into the details later. Let me read a couple things that Jesse has written so we all understand why he's doing this book. He said, I wanted to tell the story of the modern-day soldier and show the reader how they live their lives and to shed some light on the war in Afghanistan. I wanted to let the readers know that the war over there is real and that 42 men gave their lives. Now see how they lived. 42 men, was that in your division? Yes, that was our, our, our brigade. 42 Over the 15-month span, 42 uh, men died over there. Uh, so every, uh, you know, rounds off to about three a month were killed in action. Well, that's the 173rd? Airborne, Airborne Brigade. Airborne. 173rd Airborne. Very famous Airborne Division or Brigade, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. They are, they're stationed in Vicenza, Italy, and actually they just redeployed back to Afghanistan. So your book is, a, well, some about training at Fort Benning. Uh, you get into that, and then, of course, you take us to Italy, and you take us over to Afghanistan. Uh, now, uh, how did this come about, Jesse? I mean, you probably never thought you'd write a book. No, I didn't, actually. I, uh, my brother gave me a journal right, right after I joined the Army, and he said, you know, write down as much as you can uh, of your memories, because you know, one day you want to go back and relive them. So at first I thought, yeah, you know, that's kind of weird writing to myself. So, But I did. I, I kept the journal in Afghanistan, you know, Partly, you know, to take some time because there really wasn't much to do. So I'd, I'd keep it, you know, I'd make a few entries a week. So a couple of years later, after I uh, was transferred to Third Infantry Division and we got to Iraq, also time was uh, a lot of you had a lot of time on your hands. So uh, people, I would tell stories to people and they would and show them pictures and and I had many people comment that I should write a book or you know write do something to showed the world how the paratrooper lives. So that's how I got started. It started with just a chapter. But then 22 chapters later, I had a book, and I was already talking to people to edit it for me. And these stories are true? Yes, the whole book is, is true. Based on your experiences and what you saw and heard, and, and even, of course, uh, the having your good friends die around you, and then you you were shot. Yeah, I, he was, uh, and the book is dedicated to him, Jacob Lowell. He's from uh, Chicago, Illinois. We got in there a month later. He was killed, and um, 17 days later, I was shot through the uh, left arm and took our RPG shrapnel, which is rocket-propelled grenade shrapnel, to my neck and was medevaced out. And you tell that in uh, pretty much the way it happened. Right, yeah, the whole book is written through, uh, like you're looking through my eyes. It's, you know, a chronological narrative of my three years of the 173rd. And we might have to put a big stamp uh, R-rated on this book. It's real and raw and a lot of graphic Army language. Yeah, that definitely. I, I might even go NC-17 for that one. 
But that is the way you portrayed it because that's the way life is. That's true. I mean, uh, you know, when you get a bunch of 19-year-olds and you, you take them to, you know, you let them go to college, they go kind of wild. But when you get a bunch of 19-year-olds together and turn them loose in Italy and give them guns, they go really wild. You're 25. Uh, you joined when you were 19. Correct. Yeah, I joined in January 2006. Why did you join, Jesse? Uh, well, like most boys, I think, I watched the, uh, a lot of Army movies. I watched Saving Private Ryan too many times, so I wanted to jump out of planes and shoot stuff. And I was going to join after college, but once I got in college, I did a semester at Dallas State University. I got kind of burned out, and the war on terror was, you know, really in full throttle. So I decided to take off college and join while I was young, and I went down to Jacksonville for military and processing, and I did I did get assigned to the Airborne. And was that everything you expected and more? Uh, it was uh, more, actually. I mean, I met some good friends in basic, and we went through airborne school together, and then we went to Italy together. So met some good friends, and I've been to three continents, 19 countries, and fought in two wars. So I think the Army's been pretty good to me. Well, and you're really uh, one of the blessed ones cause, because you're here. You came home, and we both share a good friend uh First Sergeant Russell Bell just recently died from uh, Tyler, Texas. Yeah, First Sergeant Bell, he was in charge of our Alpha Company while I was stationed in Italy. And he was, uh, he was, uh, he was very disciplined. He taught, I know a friend of mine said the other day, he wrote a post about him, said he taught him a lot, not only about being a soldier, about being a man. Wow, what a great tribute. What a great tribute. Well, it's, it's the unfortunate, tragic, and all the above word descriptions about war. You saw it in its raw form. Uh, were you were you with anyone who was killed right beside you? No, actually not. My company is the uh, only company in Afghan that was with us that didn't, nobody was killed. But every other company lost somebody. And I'm, I was wounded, and we have five other people wounded, but no one was killed from my company. So the big question always is, you know, is it worth it? Is it really worth it, Jesse, for our soldiers to be over there? What? How do you respond to that now? Uh, well, after 10 years and then being there myself and, and watching friends go time and time again, I don't, I, personally, I don't think that it is worth it. I mean, we're putting so much money into Afghanistan, but I mean, nothing's really came out of it. I mean, and we even, we did get an assignment bid law. So why are we still there? And the people over there, they don't, they've, they're really, they don't care either way. I mean, they live in their little towns and that's all they want to do. They don't care about big government. They don't care about a postal system. I mean, they're happy that we're building bridges for them in schools, but I mean, once we leave, who's to say what they're going to do? So do you have a chance to get to know the people very well? I mean, do you really get the chance to become friends or is it just kind of a, you know, a distant kind of uh, relationship. You're the U.S. soldier, and they're the natives. Yeah, it is a distance relationship. Well, I mean, we just watch them from afar, is, is how it is. And we get to know some some of the interpreters that work that are Afghani, and they work for us. We get to know them pretty well. But uh, but all the as far as the populace of Afghanistan, we just simply pass through their towns, or if we go if we go to a town for a specific person, we give what we need, and then we leave. Well, there's no no interaction, really, between the population and the soldiers. So what is a day like in Afghanistan? 
about 97% of the time in Afghanistan, um, force isn't used. You're really just sitting around and buying your time. Uh, so on a regular day like that, we'd go out and we really did a lot of humanitarian aid uh, missions to try to get to win the hearts and minds of the Afghanistani people, you know, to try to get them to come to our side. But as they would say, you know, they were in a rock and a hard place because the Taliban, they'd also come in their towns and try to get them to join their side. So it was constantly somebody trying to win their affection. But on those type of days, we'd go out and we'd hand them food and we'd talk to the people of a village. You know, we'd go to different villages every other day and try to win them over. But on the days you took action, like when we were stationed in our combat outpost in the mountains of Afghanistan, we were good. If we'd get mortared, we would take cover, return fire, and call in the Air Force or call in artillery. And that's uh, it's real exhilarating, but it's over also very quick. There are rare, rarely any battles that last a couple hours. They're usually over in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Did you have apps, uh, you know, direct confrontation with the enemy at times? Oh, yeah. We were, uh, you know, excluding improvised explosive devices that they would set in the road for us. We were in, uh, well, my platoon was in 10 or more, you know, direct conflicts. Uh, Firefights. Right, with the Taliban. And then they also would mortar and rocket us a lot. So they, uh, so that was indirect fire. They hide off somewhere and shoot rockets at us, and then we try to find them and shoot rockets back at them. Did you capture any? We did. We caught the. Um, my platoon was the first platoon to capture a uh, foreign fighter who said he was trained by Iran. He was an old Turkish field artillery officer, and we captured him. He had a broken leg, and he got medevaced for uh, questioning and medical treatment. Do you describe friends, characters in the book to give us a sense of your relationships? I do, yeah. Um, I think there's about eight characters in there that I really hit on the most. We hung around uh, together. You know, as I said, we trained together, went through basic training together and airborne school together. So we really, and they weren't even in my company. They were in Bravo Company, and I was in Charlotte Company. But on the weekends, and we'd take trips together, I hung out with them more than I hung out with my friends in my own company, and we got we got really close. And then once we deployed, we all separated, and that's when people, uh, as you can read in the book, uh, started dying and getting injured. And then uh, we our relationships kind of break apart because everybody's scattered throughout Afghanistan. Well, the three words that you say describe your book, the, these three words are drugs, sex, and war. It's that direct. That That is true. Uh, as I said, when you get a bunch of young, uh, teen, barely 20-year-olds 20 together and turn them loose in Italy with all the Italy's guilty pleasures at their fingertips, I mean, hilarity doesn't sue. And your characters, spontaneous, selfless, and creative. Uh, give us a little bit more on that. Right. Well, um, I've been, that's how I've been described as spontaneous because, uh, you know, I'm one of the few people that in the world that are going to do what they want to do when they want to do it. Doesn't matter if it's illegal or legal, as you can you be able to tell once you read the book. Uh, and most of my friends are that way as well. It takes a special person, I think, to join the military, join the paratroopers, and, and go off on your own with people you don't you've never met before. And then once you get on the ground, you're exploring this new world together and trying to figure out where you are in uh, life and trying to figure out this whole machine that is called the United States Army. 
so in doing it together, you build your character, and you you get into trouble together, going out Friday nights with the boys, and uh, really exploring Italy and Europe together. It's, you know, doing spontaneous things, taking trips, or as I described in the book, jumping on a stripper stage and breaking the pole out. And also being approached by Russian spies. Yes, Russian spies. This guy came up to us. Well, I had met him the night before, and he, he claimed he was a spy, but I blew it off. So the next night, he was out again and claimed to me and my friend that he was a Russian spy and he's a communist. But I don't know any spies that call himself a spy. Well, and you say Sergeant First Class Adams is the comic relief in the in the He book. is. He, he kept me laughing in Afghanistan. He was the platoon sergeant of my platoon, and I was his, I was his gunner for our Humvee, so... He was constantly talking to his food or losing control of his bowels in the most unopportune times. And he would always berate the local dog population as well. In the closing moments we have left, give us a closing thought about your book and why it would be important for us to read it. Well, I think it would be important to read Shoot, Spear, and Bullets because it's, un- it's unlike any other military book out there. Most military books are written... You know, years after the conflict has taken place, like War II books and World War One books. I mean, people who write the book weren't even around for them. And as they have a ton of co-authors, and they're just going off stories that they've heard, you know, that have been passed down for 50 or 60 years. But Shoots, Beer, and Bullets, it was written, you know, I've, I did that tour in 2008, so it's only been a couple years since then. They, almost all my friends are still alive from them. I have the pictures, I have the stories still. Is written from my point of view. It also tells about, it doesn't just hit on the war as most military books does. It shows what happens outside of the war, how soldiers live their lives, what training they do, what what kind of trouble they get into. It's not your, it's not your uh, average military book. It's a new genre I'm trying to create, military humor. Take the war story but put a spin of humor on it for a little comic relief. It's, the book really is just for entertainment. But it is it is nonfiction, as you said. And just one last comment from you, please. Uh, you're getting out of the army. What are you going to do? What do you think you want to do now? Uh, I am getting out. Last next Friday is my last Friday in the army. Um, actually, all of September, I'll be going on a book tour. I'm going to Dallas and Denver, and I'm actually meeting Clark, who's a character in the book, in Seattle as well. We're doing a big book signing out there for a week going to the different couple places, and then I'm hitting up Annapolis, finally. But after after the book tour, I don't know. I may go to I may go to college. Who knows? I mean, Uncle Sam was paying for it. Might as well. Well, congratulations again, Jesse, for your book. Uh, it's Shoots, Beer, and Bullets, Not Your Grandpa's War Story. The author is Jesse C. Holder, uh, Corporal Holder, uh, Army Airborne, about to get out of the Army, and a whole new chapter going to open up for Jesse. So thank you so much, Jesse, for being with us on Author Talk. Thanks for having me. Okay. Jesse, tell us how to get your book. Uh, the book is available on all major uh, all major book retailers, Amazon and Barnes & Noble. It's also available from the publisher on their website, Author House Publishing Company. But uh, you can get it. It's starting to hit stores as well. I was in Savannah. Uh, Georgia a couple weekends ago and I saw it inside the Barnes & Noble so it's also hitting stores and it's also available on ebook, Kindle and iBook uh, on the, the ebooks run about $3 and the book itself runs about $12 
You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you been laid off, fired, downsized, right-sized, or re-engineered out of a job? Are you unemployed or anticipate that possibility? Then tune in for Successfully Unemployed, hosted by Alan Sherwood, MBA, president of Sherwood Consulting Service. Successfully Unemployed will provide you a hope-filled and comprehensive approach to the job search process from an author who's experienced it all. Alan and his guests will cover all dimensions of a job search, physical tasks, mental attitude, emotional health, even one spiritual perspective. All must be integrated in order for a person to be successfully unemployed so they can then be successfully employed. This show is designed to help you move forward from job loss to finding or creating more fulfilling work. For more on Alan Sherwood, MBA, and the show, check out his website, SuccessfullyUnemployed.com. Then join us for Successfully Unemployed with Alan Sherwood, MBA. Thursday nights at 8, 7 Central here on Toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Allies and Adversaries. And the author is D.J. Stearns, and D.J. joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, D.J. Hi, how are you? Well, this is great science fiction. It's what you love, and we'll get into where that all came from uh, But let me read a couple things you've written just so everyone understands, in general, the plot of this great uh, twist-and-turning novel. Uh, You say this, The evil is guarded by a powerful wizard. His assassination will put the fate of the world into the hands of an unlikely hero, aided by four Evelyn wizards, a disgraced champion, a retired knight, an assassin, and a spoiled princess, He will be forced into a world of lawlessness and cruelty. With no experience outside the walls of servitude, he will rise to the challenges put before him. And we're going to find more about this great hero, Gith, uh, in a moment. But first, DJ, tell us about yourself. Uh, Where did all this love of science fiction come from, and why did you decide to write this book? I've always considered myself to be a very uh, creative person. I've always... My imagination can always go wild when I'm not really doing a whole lot and just kind of thinking about, I don't know, new things. And I've always liked to read. And the science fiction fantasy genre has always captured my attention. I have a degree in um, film and video production. 
So I've actually worked in TV for three years. So I've always been doing things that's very creative, making, you know, coming up with new shows and things of that nature and editing. And I came back to work for the family business um, to kind of help out and, and um, kind of wanted to start a family. So this was kind of a way to be, be a creative outlet for me. I was trying to write this story because I've just always been so used to constantly coming up with new things that I thought this was a good way for me to take advantage of my, my creativity. Well, let's uh, find out about this main character is Gith Zu Garthin. Is that it? Gith Zu Garthin. Yes. Yes. Well, tell us uh, how you you know. Tell us about him and uh, why he's so important to you, and of course the whole plot. Um, I've always been uh, stories that where you have a character who is a nobody, really doesn't really want to deal with anything important, just kind of minding their own business, and then something happens, and they just kind of get dragged into this big problem, and. Movies that, when I was a kid, and stories, um, kind of like The Hobbit, you'd Bilbo Baggins who had nothing to do with something and get dragged into it, and then like the movie Willow, or in the same situation. I've always been attracted to those type of stories, so I kind of wanted my main character, and in the story, he's a servant to a princess, and it just so happens he's special, and he doesn't know that, and he kind of gets dragged into this this whole big situation. I kind of give it against his will and then has to learn how to accept it. So. Now, you call him special. Why Why is he special? Well, when he was younger, he is... He was bur- he's burned in a fire, and it kind of... Which was kind of a way to hide who he is from, from the world. So he kind of has real low confidence of, him, of himself, and he's... You know, very shy, doesn't like to be around people. So he has so, scar, scarring and his face is deformed? Yes, yeah, so when he was burned, so he has to wear this, this mask that kind of covers part of his head because the person that he is has a, bir- a birthmark on his forehead that identifies who he is. And with him being burned, it kind of hides that. So essentially it's a way he's being protected from somebody trying to find and kill him. So... He has no idea who he is, no idea why he's so important. And just out of random walk, he stumbles across uh, the creature that can identify him and tries to help him out to explain to him who he is. Because the equinox, which is, uh, well, I guess you need to explain to us uh, the equinox. Tell us about the equinox, and the equinox has been destroyed, and a new one needs to take his place. Yes, the equinox in in the story there is there's this being, and it's just called the evil. And what exactly he is is explained in the story. I'm not really going to get into him, but the guardian of this this evil is killed in the prologue, and. The watcher that kind of helps the equinox is a, is an eagle, and when the equinox is killed, the eagle leaves, and he has to try to find the new one, and it just so happens to be Gith. And the identifier is that birthmark. Well, because Gith doesn't have it, it's make it really difficult for the eagle to find him. And like I said, it was just out of random walk that he happens to stumble across him. 
So once he finds him, Gif wants nothing to do with this strange talking bird, and one thing leads to another, and he kind of just gets thrown into the whole, whole quest. Well, we have these other companions of Gith. Uh, they're key to the story. Why don't you tell us first about this disgraced champion? Um, the, the disgraced champion, is his name is Argon, and he is a giant from the giant realms. And he was cast out uh, for something that he's not really sure if he did it or not. But they, the giant society casted him out, and... Just by random luck, he happens to come across Gith later on in the story. And Ar- Argon is a, he's a good character. He's very quiet. He's very hes very humble after what happens to him. He kind of changes. He talks a little bit about his past in the story. But, uh, and he was the champion of the uh, gladiators for the, the giant realms for, seven cycles running, so he's a pretty tough guy when we find out in a few areas. Now there's the retired knight. Yes, the retired knight name is Arthur. He was captain of a guard for a king in one of the uh, one of the four human kingdoms. And the current king had him forced him into retirement and then he kind of takes up a little quest for the king, and then through what happens with him, he runs into Gith later on in the story. So he's haunted by, he's got a little bit of a tragic past. Kind of all my characters do. So, And then there's uh, Vivin, the, uh, well, you I call her, a, you, you call her, well, you, she's an assassin, a female assassin. Yeah, she she is an assassin who is hunting down the uh, the assassin. The assassin's guild at the beginning gets betrayed by one of its own, and she is hunting down the betrayer. And once again, just through her random events, she comes stumbles across Gith later on in the story, and kind of joins up with his their um, quest. And then, of course, there is the spoiled princess. <laughs> yes, the, the, the spoiled princess is, is, is Princess Aelin, who just happens to be her manservant. And Gith is supposed to take care of um, Aelin's brother. But the brother, because Gith is kind of deformed, wants nothing to do with him. And Aelin just kind of latches on to Gith. She kind of treats him like a lost puppy. And so Gith kind of takes care of her, kind of her beck and call. And um, because she's a princess, she's very, very into herself. Me, me, my, my. Everything's about her. So, and when as the story progresses, she kind of, you know, gets into the fact that not everything is about her. So now, what about when the you first? When you first meet her, you don't like her. But you, uh, she has redeeming value. Yes, she does have some um, redeeming value. I think I, more of that will be brought out in the in the next book. But it, it is, she kind of gets aware of the reality of life. 
outside of what she's used to. So. Yes, everyone, this is a trilogy, and DJ is working on the second part of this trilogy as we speak. Yes. Well, tell us about the... Go ahead. I was just going to... Yes, I'm working on the second book, and it will be titled Life and Death. Tell us about the elves, the Dream Sisters. No, the Dream Uh, Fire Sisters. Dream Dream Fire Fire Sisters. Um, I decided I was... Had some. Um, there's four types of, of magics in my the world I created, and there's life magic, death magic, sky magic, and earth magic. And the four elves are quadruplets, and each one is kind of attuned to each one of those magics. And they're actually a real critical part of the story because Gareth has no clue about anything. You know, he knows nothing about magic, and in these the Dreamfire sisters are kind of there to act as teachers for him and they're they're extremely powerful um they're not 100 percent sure of their power yet and um they end up playing a real real key part in, in the story allies and adversaries is very different a fantasy book a science fiction because of the way you look at this line between good and evil. Now, explain this different uh, approach. Well, a lot of stories that I have read in the past, and, and I've been reading science fiction my whole life, you have a all-powerful bad guy or some person who somehow rises to power, and, you know, this is the defined bad guy, and then you have a group of people who are the defined good guys who are going to go and, and stop the bad guy from doing whatever it is and a lot of the stories I read that is very very common and to me it can get a little uh, cut and dry so to speak and I kind of wanted to try to take a different route and it might not seem quite so prominent in the beginning in, the, in, in this first book but I'm trying to shoot more towards the gray on good and evil how different cultures view things differently the way elves view the humans in the book and the way the humans view the elves and it's going to be true with the goblins and the dwarves and and the giants i kind of wanted to so so when you're reading it and bad things are happening to characters they might not you know what's being done to them who's doing it to them might not seem bad to the you know the person who's causing them harm or or what have you and I know I described in the beginning that I have the guardians protecting the quote-unquote evil, but as everything unfolds, you, know, you learn that even though it's called the evil, it's not really evil in the sense of the word, that it's just this terrible, terrible bad thing. You also did a little wordplay on each character's last name, just to give the, uh, I guess, the reader, you know, the, the, see if they catch on to it. Yes, I did. I've only had a few people actually read the story and notice that, because I don't really blatantly point it out. But I have four human kingdoms, and there's there's Jesta, Meneville, Zuward, and Salvatura. And where a human is from, the prefix of the, the kingdom they're from is in the beginning of their name. Like, Gith is from Zuward, so it's Gith Zugarthen. And Arthur is from Meneville, so it's Arthur Min Swensel. And all of the characters human characters have that little prefix at the beginning of their name. Just kind of something I threw in there. (laughs) 
So you have this theme that everyone knows that we're all imperfect, including your characters, but we can rise to our full potential, with the, even with great challenges. Yes, yes. I've always, um, I personally, I always admire, I know a lot of people have people that, you know, individuals that they admire and idols and stuff, but I've always been, I always look at a big picture that, you know, pe- people in general who, take something, an idea, or even a story, or their their abilities, and they can just rise to the, the challenges of them. They're just, they're really good at what they do. You know, I've always admired that, just in, in people in general. You, you know, even humans, just what we've all accomplished over the past hundred years. I mean, I just, did, I just think that sort of thing is amazing. And I just try to incorporate that sort of thing into into the story and with the characters. You know, each, each character, they're kind of good at what they did or they're really good at what they do, and their past and how they rise, they rise to the challenges that faces them and, and get how he's a nobody and this kind of the story, how he rises and the things that happen to him and kind of bring him, slowly start bringing him up and, you know, build the confidence in him and what have you. Well, it's an adventure, it's fun, it's creative. The characters are personable, imperfect, and very determined. The title of the book, Allies and Adversaries, and the author is D.J. Stearns. D.J., tell us how to get your book. Um, it is, you can uh, order it online currently at um, Author House or Barnes & Noble, um, any, any bookstore, really. You should be able to get it online, Amazon. It's even available for Nook and Kindle. Um, <laughs> any way you can get a book, you can probably order it. That's right. Well, thank you, DJ, for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you.